Today's episode of the Old Town Podcast is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Let's have a ball at Faneuil Hall, we love the Old Town team. Take the green line to the sicko sign, we love the Old Town team. Welcome back to the Old Town Podcast, our Red Sox podcast here at The Athletic. Thanks to the Beantown Swing Orchestra for the opening music. Make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating if you're able to rate us wherever you're listening to this. Great show on tap for you today. I'm Tim McMaster, uh, joined by a couple of guys that go way back to Portland, Maine, Lars Anderson and Matt Perret. Uh, Lars, of course, no stranger to this podcast. He played in Portland, of course, with the Sea Dogs. And he stayed in the home of the Parades. They were his host family. Matt was in high school when Lars first started playing there. So these guys go way back. Matt has gone on to much better things and bigger things than playing video games with Lars. Uh, He had his own career at Boston College and then in the minor leagues. And now he is advocating for minor leaguers who are going through a really hard time right now with the coronavirus, uh, wondering when the next paycheck is coming and how much it will be worth. So we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about uh, Matt and Lars's time together in Portland and talk about what Matt does beyond that, which is uh, creating content. There's some great stuff on YouTube you've probably found, and, and he's on Twitter as well. But we want to start with uh, your guys' relationship as kind of brothers. Lars, sum it up. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, in 2008, I believe, I was 20 years old, and I got caught up to AA Portland, and most minor league teams, you have to find your own apartment or, or live with teammates. But in Portland, they do something kind of cool where they have uh, host families, which is great. You can um, live with a local family. Um, you don't have to pay rent. And you kind of get a flavor for for the town that you're in. And also, you might you know eat better or you know have a little more more comfortable or more livable situation. So it's a, it's a win on a lot of levels. And so I just kind of happened by chance to get hooked up with uh, Matt and his family who lived, um, you know, 15 minutes from Hadlock Field in Portland, Maine. And uh, that kind of started it, started it all for us. So fond memories for you. I'm wondering if Matt has the same fond memories of having to live with Lars for a couple of years. I, you know, I could go into some bit right now about how like much of an annoying brother he was, but he was actually uh, a great uh player to have in the house um he was the first Lars was the first one that was close to my age uh most of the guys I was I think 16 15 16 at the time when Lars uh came so and Lars being 20 years old like at, at some point we probably could have been teammates uh in high school and uh that that was nice to finally have someone who wasn't like 25 26 27 uh, with like a wife and kids, um, that I could just like relate to and just like have a conversation with. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, there were definitely times where I think I was the annoying brother. Yeah. I too could probably go into some stories, but I think, um, it was, uh, it was really cool. Matt has a younger sister named Katie and just like being able to hang with them and, and be away from like, uh, 
be away from the game for a little bit was really nice. Some proof that Lars really did love staying with your family, Matt. This is actually a recording done way back then when he was coming back to Portland for another season and was going to live with you guys again. I wanted to play this um, kind of a, a this is your life, Lars Anderson moment. Matt's in college, Katie's in high school. And, uh, yeah, they're just all over, they're just running all over the place, but, like, super accommodating, like, um, really made me feel like part of the family in, like, a non-overbearing way, you know, they're pretty hands-off and we, we chat and stuff, but it's yeah. not like, you know, you have to have family dinner with us and talk about baseball and that sort of thing, which is really refreshing. Seems like a perfect place to live. Oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> Lars, kind, kind words, man. That's well, dude. The horse, the horse stories that I would get from my other teammates would be like, "Yeah, I, I'm coming home at after going over four. And my host dad is like, asking me why I didn't swing at the first <laughs> pitch of my second at bat." You know what I mean? I did. I, like I never had to deal with that. No, I, I thankfully uh, myself, I never had any uh, host family horror stories either. Um, just I think it also like um, being a host family uh, growing up and then being one of the players myself, it gave me a, a perspective to, um, on w what it's like living in someone else's home as a minor league baseball player. So now years later, um, and you're, you're no longer playing Matt, you've moved on away from your playing career, but still very close. And you've never lost touch, um, with minor league baseball in general. And that was the main reason, um, that we wanted to have you on the podcast was to talk about, um, a lot of the things that, that you're doing to help out. Cause obviously this is, this is a terrible time for everyone. Every, we're all going through this in, in one way or another, the, the coronavirus, and we're all staying away from each other and staying indoors. Um, but it's certainly affecting some people more than others. Uh, I'm in New York here and obviously people that work in restaurants, um, people that are performers in any way are really being devastated on a professional level and on a trying to pay the rent level. And that's kind of the, the level that minor leaguers have been struck with too. So you've put together a, basically an advocacy group to, to try to help out. Um, the website is advocates for minor leaguers. You guys are on Twitter as well. Um, but I, I want to start, we'll go through this and what's going on and, and, and how you guys are trying to help. But I think it makes sense to start with just kind of laying it out. And you guys can both do this because you both went through it. How tough it is, even when you are playing, to make ends meet as a minor leaguer. And now imagine what these guys are, are trying to deal with now when they've given up their offseason jobs. So go ahead, Matt. Kind of set us up for, for what the minor leaguers are, are dealing with right now. Sure. Well, I mean, first off, even during the season, it's hard enough to figure out what's the next meal you're going to eat and um, how you're going to be able to spend your money. For me, I would take, I would wait uh, until after uh, everyone had left the field and the spread was still sitting out there. Uh, po the post game spread was still there. And I would take that food back uh, to our apartment that I was living in with three other guys. And that would be our breakfast the next morning. Um, so that kind of puts into perspective of like how as a minor leaguer, you're like forced into these situations. Now that's with an, an income and these guys were hit in a situation where granted, like you said, Tim, everyone's going through it right now. However, the last people that they figured out what to, to do with were minor leaguers. And that's because they have no one right now who is providing a voice for them, their decisions being made at the table 
and they are not there. And that is the issue is that minor leaguers do not have a voice. And that's what we're trying to do for advocates for minor leaguers to provide a voice to the players. So how did this all come about as far as um, this specific group? Who's involved with you? And and was it your idea or was it somebody else's idea to actually um, get this going? I guess what, about a month ago or two months ago at this point? Yeah, so it's been cooking for uh, a few months now. Um, But we thought we were planning on launching around uh, opening day and uh, specifically like minor league opening day. However, we we expedited that um, considering the the circumstances. Um, But yeah, we it was uh, actually Garrett Brocious uh, was the one that uh, reached out to uh, Ty Kelly and and me uh, about starting this nonprofit. And uh, I mean, it was something that we both of us were like, yeah, 100 percent We're we're going to get this is something that we're passionate about and we want to get behind. Um, So that that was how we got involved. And then from there, it was, um, you know, figuring out what's our mission. What are the next steps? What are we trying to accomplish with this? Um, Because there's a lot of great nonprofits out there right now um, who are. Uh, providing services for minor leaguers. However, our main mission um, is to provide a voice for those players and, and not um, not so much of like the the immediate like needs that are being taken care of by like, say, adopt a minor leaguer or more than baseball. Like those are great services. But like we're thinking long term down the road. And we want to make it so that our nonprofit doesn't need to exist anymore. And I think that in, in getting these players together and, and providing a voice is the start of that. And I think an, another thing that I'm focusing on myself is, uh, is education. And that was like one of my biggest things is like I want to make sure that people who are not familiar with minor league baseball were aware of the issues around minor league players and the wages that they get because not everyone knows. And if you, you ask like a, a the, the casual fan, even a, a casual baseball fan, what they think minor leaguers make. And it, Lars, I'm sure you heard crazy things like, Oh, a hundred thousand dollars, $50,000. And it's like, no, try like under $7,000 a year. Yeah. It's uh, I was just going to ask kind of like, what, what are some of the, some of the things that you hear the the casual fans say, what are their misconceptions not only about the pay, but more about like the, the lifestyle of professional baseball players. You hear like a lot of kind of wacky stuff that's that's not really accurate. Yeah, and I think uh, that's one of them is just the, the wages you, you think as an elite athlete um, that you're going to be making, you know, uh, most people think they they make close to, you know, six figures, but try even lower than five figures, right? Like these guys, I think it's like 80 over... 80% of minor leaguers make um, below the the poverty line. And that's an absurd, that's an absurd number to, to say in any profession. Um, but that's over 6,000 people right there. Um, but for some reason, it's okay because of the, and the, the reason I think is that it's because of the narrative that we've all been told, right? And Lars, I know you've heard this too of like, 
oh, you know, well, these these boys, they're living their dream and it's, <laughs> they're doing it for the love of the game and it's about the journey and, and all the, this rhetoric that's used around it, it. It's these are the stories that we then tell that built the character for them to get to the major leagues. Like, I, did you did you feel that? Did you and do other guys feel that? Because personally, I don't think that that is true. The, it, to me, it's these are men who are getting paid below minimum wage. Yeah, I don't I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. I think that you can live your dream and work really hard and also make a livable wage. You know, I think that's reasonable. I don't think that's I think that people because the reward is so great for the small few that you know, making it to the major leagues and having it be so lucrative, it's like well, people's attitudes like you kind of have to just grin and bear it and you know, this like this this golden carrot is kind of dangled in front of all, you know, professional baseball players, but so few get to actually enjoy that. That is pretty sad. And I think like your website's really great. I've, I've been looking at it quite a bit and something that was just so striking, the, the graph of um, majorly triple or minorly triple A players and what they're, and, that, and mind you, that's like, those are the minor leaders getting paid the most, what they make compared to uh, minor league athletes and, and NBA and the NHL. So like the, the the median salary for a triple a AAA player is ten thousand forty dollars a year with no housing provided the nba g league which is like triple a for the nba they make thirty five thousand thirty five thousand dollars a year and the nhl's triple a they make forty seven thousand five hundred dollars a year and they have their housing provided the nba does not but i mean that that gives right. you kind of perspective about like what minor league players and, and mind you like a triple a player is only of you know that's like one seventh of the minor league system <laughs> and uh i think on here rookie ball right no that's not even to not even to include all the the dsl and and venezuelan leagues as well that are uh that are forgotten about yeah and i, I just i'm curious like i guess i've been thinking a lot about this and what are do you think overall, if, if players were paid uh, a livable wage, you know, $35,000 a year, $47,000 a year, do you think the product on the field would suffer or improve? I think that's an important, an important distinction or thing to look at. I think that you would see a return on the investment, right? It, and I know me as a player, if I were able to focus more on, say, my training in the offseason instead of working, um, you know, they, I could have been able to afford, say, uh, uh, a hitting coach or a trainer, right? And and being able to provide that sense of security um, is so important for development. Uh, and it it's too bad that it's turned into a pay-to-play model, much like it is with amateur baseball. It's interesting because you guys mentioned the the kind of golden carrot being dangled out there. And that has to be there because I would imagine that if there wasn't this dream or this hope that someday I could even get a cup of coffee in the big leagues and make that big paycheck for a little while, then nobody would deal with these eight-hour bus rides and suffering through single-A baseball and all this stuff. As romantic as you want to make it and, and think of like Bull Durham and movies, um, the reality is it's tough and it's a grind and there's no money. And, and if you didn't have Major League Baseball for this such a small percentage of guys that would make it, then I don't think anyone would even put in the effort to try um, because of, of the grind um, that it is. 
So there, you've made some some headway um, collectively, I guess, all the people that are working for this, Matt. Um, I know now you can probably um, explain this better than me, but I believe the situation right now is minor leaguers are getting $400 a, a week from MLB. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And what else is going on right now beyond that to help these guys out until hopefully we have a season at some point this summer? No, which is a great start too. And I think um, there was also an issue um, around the free agent, the minor league free agents um, that got resolved with the MLBPA stepping in. And because a lot of those players, um, the after your seven-year uniform player contract, um, you get to sign as a minor league free agent. And a lot of these guys have uh, big league experience, yet $400 to them a week is now a 95% pay cut. Um, so the MLBPA did step in, which is a, is a great step, uh, in the right direction with them. I mean, they're, they've been, uh, supportive of us as well, um, online. Um, and you know, uh, I think with major league baseball, like the $400 a week is definitely a step in the right direction. But again, like none of us, we're all in the same boat with uncertainty. However, I, I think minor leaguers there's, they were the last ones to be thought of and and that shouldn't be the case. Yeah. Even after the, you know, the workers and, and, and people at the fields too, which is great that the MLB is stepping up and, and helping them out. But it, it does seem like minor leaguers um, at every step are the last ones to be thought of. And that's kind of, I guess in my career, um, I was fortunate enough to have a signing bonus that I could draw upon and uh, to supplement my life, but a lot of players don't have that. And I think the general feeling is, is just that, that um, you're always kind of thought of last. And that's not really a great feeling, especially when you're supposed to be an elite athlete trying to perform. Um, that can be incredibly frustrating. Um, and I don't... I, I don't think it is the, the, the tough part about it is just, I don't think it needs to be like that. There's so much wealth in baseball in large part because of guys coming through the minor leagues and becoming draws at the major league level that um, it doesn't need to be like that. And I, and I guess what's it's what's interesting is you're starting to see some some former and current players stepping up and helping out minor league players. I think Adam Wainwright just donated two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Um to minor leaguers, which is really cool, but I'm I'm a I don't want to say disappointed because it's not my money, but the, the guys not understanding the grind in the NBA or the NFL I can get because they they go from college and right into the you know NBA or the NFL, but most virtually every major leaguer has gone through many years of the minor league process and they understand that they understand that grind in those living conditions. And you'd think like when you get to the big leagues, they'd be like, Hey, this is not okay down here. You know, cause they're represented by the union. Minor league players are not represented by any union. And, um, you would think that there'd be more pressure on the union just as far as like, uh, out of solidarity to kind of take care of minor leaguers better. And I'm wondering, um, what your thoughts on that are. And also if you could ever see, you know, is, is the end goal of this, like getting a union to represent minor leaguers? Like what's the, what's kind of, your guys's long view on this. No, that's a great point. Um, it shouldn't be, it's amazing that these players are stepping up. These individuals, these, these people are stepping up, um, and using their 
own personal wealth to to help others in need. Um, that's an amazing thing um, that should never be taken for granted. However, it should not be on the uh, individuals and should be on the, the organizations that um, made $1.2 billion in profits last year. You know, it, it, it shouldn't be on the individuals to, to make that sacrifice. It should be on the organizations themselves um, to kind of step up and say, hey, we're going to pay uh, our individuals during this during this tough time. Um, but when it comes to us uh, with advocates for minor leaguers, we're not a union. We're not trying to be a union, um, but we are trying to provide a collective voice for them. Um, and, and that is the ultimate goal is, is for them to not end up needing us. Right. And that, that would be the ultimate goal for us is for advocates for minor leaguers to not need to be a thing anymore. Well, it's interesting because of the timing of this, it comes right after an off season where there was all this talk of getting rid of minor league teams, which obviously means less players and, and more of these players who wouldn't have jobs. And then, the coronavirus comes around and it's it's like insult to injury on top of the the worries of what might happen in the future uh suddenly now you have something happening right now is that something you guys are going to push it all for too is to cuz i know none of those decisions have been made about getting rid of the 40 teams is that something that that you want to dig into when this more immediate crisis is handled well that's already something that we began working on even before we started uh, advocates for minor leaguers, Garrett and, and, and myself, we went to Iowa, um, to meet with Senator Sanders, uh, about the, about minor league wages, but also about the, the 42 communities, uh, that major league baseball, um, threatened to take away, um, the teams in those, in those towns, um, that doesn't need to happen. Uh, we know, like I said before, we know how much Major League Baseball uh, collectively made um, in years past, and they don't need to eliminate these players' jobs. They don't need to eliminate jobs in order to um, be able to pay these people what they're worth. Uh, a- another example I like to use is that um, these you're taking away reps from players. And I, I think that's something that's overlooked is, um, and a, and a quote that's has stuck with me, uh, for a long time came from, uh, when I was in the giants organization, Dick Tidrow said, um, you know, everyone figures it out at some point, meaning like everyone <laughs> figures out how to play the game in order to make it to the major leagues. It's just whether they are still in the game or not. That stuck with me because, some of these guys are just forced out of the game. That statement inherently is saying like these, like some people just can't stay in it long enough in order to figure it out. And, and that shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't be a pay to play model in that way. Um, so I think it, it's when it comes to those 42 teams, those are reps that you're then taking away. That's talent that say there's a, player who's underdeveloped but you need to give them more reps you put them in the Appalachian League and then they get a you know a a lot more at bats instead of putting them on a different rookie ball team that then they're not going to be playing as much I mean Lars I'm sure you saw that where guys catapulted through 
an organization after finally getting an opportunity to get some at bats. Dude, all the time. And it's funny that you, you bring that up. I had a coach tell me one time in the lower levels when I was a prospect, he's like, I couldn't, it was weird that he said that, but he, he said, we're, we're playing this game right now just so that you and a few other guys can play, like meaning me and a few other prospects. And, uh, which I thought was weird for him to say to me. Um, but his point was like, you know, most of these guys are not going to make, but we still need to play competitive baseball games. And, you know, f- that's not an in- inherently true statement. And uh, there's a lot of guys, you know, the Daniel Navas of the world, the Josh Reddicks of the world, who just like the Gabe Kaplers of the world force themselves to the major leagues, you know, just cause they're, they're never on anybody's radar and they're just so good that they just like, they just keep forcing the hand. And like without the, without, you know, 42 teams, a lot of that stuff will cease to happen. And, and also it's like, I, I think of baseball, especially at the upper levels as a, a, a pretty pure meritocracy. Um, there are very few guys in the major leagues that aren't supposed to be there that you don't really get gifted the major leagues. Like if you're a high draft pick, you might get to like the upper levels just because they want to see if you'll work out. But for the most part, you have to play well to get promoted and so on and so forth. And it's like kind of like strong currents make strong fish. The the more the more good baseball players you have playing baseball games, the better the product is going to be. Like straight up, you know, more so than paying them more. I mean, that that should happen. But like, if you're cutting forty two teams, you're going to have a lesser product in the end, in my opinion, because you're going to have less guys like Josh Reddick and Daniel Nava coming through. And then also, um, the guys like Francisco Lindor, who are superstars, are gonna are gonna have like have had like you said less reps, less time to hone their craft. It's just gonna affect a lot of other things rather than just like the the uh, wallets of the owners. You know, I think, and I also think like I, I kind of wanted to, you know, you're from a minor league baseball town, and I'm curious as to like how you think that would affect all of these towns throughout the United States, and like what that would mean to a town losing baseball teams because you really you had that experience and. I imagine that you you living in Portland and hosting players has also kind of informed your decision to take on something like this. Yeah, I mean, I was one of those kids growing up watching the, at the time, it was the Florida Marlins AA affiliate uh, and then eventually became the Red Sox um, in, in Portland. But um, yeah, I was one of those kids watching the games and then we ended up hosting players. And then Lars, like I ended up, in the clubhouse with you guys as the bullpen catcher. Um, right. I mean that like, so my, this is 100% informed uh, my view on minor league baseball, right from the, from the jump, seeing, seeing that. And, and obviously as a, you know, as a kid, I didn't realize that like, I didn't have a concept of money, right? You don't have a concept of finances, but when you become an adult, those are things that you start to consider is like, where am I going to live? How am I going to eat? Those things as a kid, they just kind of happen. And I, I think that's that. And it gets back into narrative again. It gets back into us and how we, how we talk about these as boys living their dream. It's no, these are men who are underpaid. You mentioned Bernie, and that was back in December, obviously, at a time when his presidential run was doing a lot better than it is right now. Um, that said, uh, how was that experience? I mean, did was it positive feedback from him? And, and obviously, the, the government and 
Well, we could talk about what they've done to help Major League Baseball to hurt minor leaguers in the past, but we won't dive into that. But but overall, Major League Baseball has been allowed to basically pay minor leaguers very little money, um, and they've to a degree been supported in that from the government. But how is Bernie on this issue just dealing with him? Because this seems to kind of be in his wheelhouse. What Tim really wants to know is, <laughs> did you feel the burn? <laughs> That's I should have just said that. Thanks. Thanks, Lars, for You're simplifying welcome. it all. No, and I think uh, Tim, you nailed it with um, with how it it resonates with the message that Senator Sanders is already preaching. Right, is that there are these billionaires who are not paying people for the work that they're worth, right? And I think that's that's an easy message to understand. Um, and also jobs, right? Taking jobs away from local communities. That is another thing that Bernie Sanders has been preaching since you know his his earliest days uh in the senate uh, and even as like a mayor um in in vermont so i think it's i think it it makes sense for uh his campaign and and why he's so passionate about it as well and just for his love of baseball the sport as well and he doesn't want to see it disappear in local communities because uh like myself he also saw the impact that that has on a community um, but the overall experience was amazing. I mean, I, I live in Los Angeles now. Uh, I flew out connecting flight Dallas, Fort Worth to, uh, Cedar Rapids drove an hour and a half, um, to Burlington, Iowa. Um, and I, the hotel that I was staying in, I, I actually got to see like, you know, they had the Burlington bees, um, it was the hotel of the Burlington bees. Coincidentally, I was also, I had just booked that myself, um, did not know, but th- like they had all this merchandise and stuff like that about, uh, about the team. Um, and you, you can just see it, you feel it, how, how much it impacts, uh, the community and how much these teams mean to the, these towns. So one other thing that's impacting all of this right now, or I should say is going to is, um, they've already agreed that the draft is going to be shorter, uh, probably five to 10 rounds. They haven't decided on how many exactly, but usually it's 40. So there's suddenly, you know, 30 to 35 rounds of players who will be out there, I guess, as free agents to sign, but not drafted into an organization. So that's a whole lot of uncertainty. Um, then you have the situation in college where um, the athletes who did not get to participate this spring at the college level are being given the chance if they were seniors to go back with an extra year of eligibility. Then you have juniors who may have come out into the draft because um, they had had great springs. Now we'll probably go back next year for their senior year, um, which means there's going to be a ton of college players because then you have high school players who maybe don't get drafted now. So they go into college College is going to have to figure that out as far as scholarships because the scholarships for baseball probably aren't going up and there's going to be all these players looking for playing time. But it's also going to eventually have an impact on the minor leagues and all of this. And and I, I assume that's on your radar too, just the overall mess that is probably going to be created, if not now, really kind of a year from now. Definitely. I mean, um, for me personally, I remember um, – when I, I actually got drafted out of high school, didn't end up signing um, because I was committed to Boston College and the catcher 
uh, who the starting catcher who was at Boston College actually got drafted fourth overall, Tony Sanchez. So oh, my decision, yeah, Tony was great. I went on all my official visits with Tony. Um, nice. But he, my decision was kind was informed by his decision, right? Because I wasn't going to go to a school that I wasn't going to get playing time immediately. And him signing meant that there was a spot open for me to come in and possibly start. Not, it's not guaranteed. Obviously you still have to earn that spot, but there was a better chance for me to, to go in and start. Um, so I can only imagine what these, these players, um, coming out of high school who saw this, their scenarios, um, that are now going to completely change. There's going to be, are they, I mean, there's so many variables now. Are you going to have to expand rosters? Are you, is that even worth it? Is there, I mean, you mentioned scholarships. There's only 11.7 scholarships for, um, all of college baseball of the 35 players. I mean, there's, there's so many things and, and there's definitely, um, things the NCAA is going to have to take into consideration for sure. I think you, you bring up a good point of, of, of playing time. I remember a, a big deciding factor in, in me signing and rather than going to Cal was just that a, a really good first baseman named David Cooper was transferring to Cal. And I've said, oh, wow, there's maybe I won't play all the time here. And Boston wants me to sign with them. And that's just like kind of another push in that direction. But uh, kind of in the same in the same realm as uh, you know, minor league teams being cut, I think less less places will lead to a lesser product. And I'm I'm kind of wondering, like, is there any alternative? You know, is it, would indie ball kind of see an uptick? Would you know international ball come into play more? I'm, I'm I think we're gonna see a lot of of new people are gonna have to get creative if they want to play. Seemingly, sure. And, and I'm, I'm wondering what you see with that. Well, I think there's. Baseball is interesting because there is uh, already a cap limit on how many American players can go and play overseas um, on on most rosters. I know you played overseas and know that better than anyone else. So correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, But uh, that's interesting, even bringing up indie ball. But I I don't think that it's nothing is going to take you away from even if you have a partial scholarship in college. Right. The going to play indie ball or even going to play minor league baseball is like, is that going to pull you? And I think that's what you saw with like larger decisions that were made by players like Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray, who decided to forego their baseball careers in order to play in the NFL, because obviously fine. That's a financially sound decision. Whereas there is no immediate income uh, that is really substantial um, in comparison to how quickly you can get into uh, NFL money, where it's it's not all guaranteed, but it's there's more guaranteed money there than in your seven year uniform player <laughs> yeah, contract. Yeah. yeah, neither is making it to the major leagues. So right for enough time for enough time to compensate for what you exactly make, signing a first round contract in the NFL. 
great information. Um, and, and I think people are learning more and more of this stuff, but it's just good to, to let them know what's going on, especially in, in this time. It gives us a nice opportunity to dive into it because there's no games for us to talk about. So we can talk about stuff like minor leaguers who are eventually a lot of these, you know, some of these guys are going to get there and you're going to be rooting for them, but people out there should probably know about the guys who don't get there too. Um, so when baseball ends, obviously you have to find other things to do. Uh, Lars is getting done with bats and he's also, uh, putting music together and that sort of thing. Uh, Matt, yeah, Matt, you're doing it as well. Um, and if people go to YouTube and type in your name, all sorts of stuff pops up. Um, but, but at what point did you realize that you kind of had the personality that you could, you know, be creative, make videos, a lot of them with Ty Kelly. Um, you obviously dig into, um, baseball for a lot of stuff, but, um, there's a La La Land parody that's fantastic and, and just really well done. Um, and there's some fun stuff as well. At one point, did you realize that you wanted to create content when you were done playing baseball? Well, so I remember it, it was, um, gosh, I w- it was an off season in Boston. Um, it was, it was still when I was living on the East Coast uh, during the off season. I was uh, one of my really good friends is Steve Buckley uh, of The Athletic. Yep. Um, He's been on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Buck and I, I mean, I met Buck at his uh, old time baseball game in Cambridge where you wear the old time uniforms and it, it to support a charity every single year. It's a different charity. Um, so I met Buck through there. We became really good friends and I would crash at Buck's place because my uncle lived on the North shore in Groveland. So instead of commuting from Groveland down to my workouts in Boston during the week, I would stay with Buck and Buck and I in the morning would be sitting down, getting coffee and, and he'd be writing his column and I'd be like, well, I'm just sitting here like an asshole. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> so I started writing. I was just like, oh, that's what, that's what Buck's doing. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and um, we had always joked around because he had covered minor league baseball way back in the day um, when the main guides, uh, the AAA main guides were still around uh, in Old Orchard Beach. I, I think it was Old Orchard Beach. Um, but yeah, he, he covered it. So he would, he knows minor league baseball and he would always joke around like, Oh, you're just a homeless minor leaguer. <laughs> and so all I did was put the dot com at the end of it and, and buy that domain. Um, but Steve, I mean, provided a lot of mentorship for me when it came to writing. And, um, then eventually like, um, I've, you know, I've always been a fan of YouTube. Uh, so I ended up uh, vlogging. I, I I started with vlogging, and Steve was like, "Hey, it seems like you're better at this than the <laughs> the writing thing." It's like you can write dialogue. You're not a great writer. Um, so I was like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense." Um, so I eventually was began writing sketches, and that was how I um, figured out that I I wanted to get into the comedy space um, and just like be in digital in general, uh, was, was through comedy writing. And then I knew obviously you need to prepare for when you're done playing, nothing can truly prepare you, but you need to be ready for that. Your second career, um, because you've been training for 20 plus years to, to play baseball. And then eventually like that's going to end. So 
what's next. And for me, I was like, I know I want to work in entertainment. Here's how I can start to make a lot of my connections is through, okay, well, where's the crossover between baseball fans and entertainment? And that helped me to collaborate with a lot of really amazing people who I, you know, I'm friends with now. Um, but that, that was how I got from being a minor leaguer crashing in Steve Buckley's office to being, uh, you know, working in entertainment here in Los Angeles. So yeah, speaking of collaborations, I actually do have a, a bone to pick with you, Matt, and I, I want to give you an opportunity to defend yourself on our show. Um, recently, I was, you know, during this during this coronavirus um, quarantine, Matt sent me a sent me a text message. He said, "Hey, I'm doing this video, this uh, TikTok video for this thing. Can you make me a, a 10 second, and I quote, a 10 second hip hop beat?" I'm like, "Oh, cool! 10 seconds, awesome." I'm usually working on songs, you know, that are five or six minutes long. So I go outside, uh, I use a sample that he sends. I, I cook up a little hip hop beat. I, I usually make like electronic music, like dance music. So hip hop's not really my thing, but it was kind of fun getting out, outside of the box and doing something different. So I make this like cool little sketch of this 10 second hip hop beat and I send it to, to Matt and he's like, oh, it's great. It's really cool. And then he's like, you think you can make it like 40 seconds long? Can you make it like a little harder, like, like trap music? And I'm like, Matt. You got to tell me these things. So I want to give you an opportunity to kind of explain yourself. Well, first off, I, I want to uh, apologize. I I did not know that you were immediately going to jump into it. It was more one of those things. Tim, you know how when you like shoot off a text and you're like, oh, shoot, I, ca- I can't forget this. So like I got to like send this idea right <laughs> yeah. now. Yep. That That's what happened. So the problem is in, Lars in, has nothing else to do. So you were like, <laughs> he was like, well, something to do. I can't go camping. I can't do anything, but I can do this. Right. And that, that was the issue is that I, I allowed him to just have all this free time. I, I should have waited until I had the proper, then that's, that's the other issue is that I didn't give you a proper brief on, uh-huh. on what it is or even like examples. Right. It's like, I should have built a pitch deck around this. I should have been like, Hey Lars, here's what this has looked like. Here's the examples. And then like, we could have gone from there. So that's what I would have done in retrospect. So I do feel bad and, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll do better next time. It's okay. I actually had a lot of fun making that. It was quite enjoyable. Oh, it turned out well on all fronts. I like it. Maybe yeah. you'll hear it sometime. Yeah. <laughs> you won't hear it on Matt's thing, obviously, but I no, you will. you will. You will. You okay. will. All right. I don't want to beat it out of you. this is like the little brother bullying thing huh right exactly it 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 never stops it's never stopped i mean did you guys like back to that did you guys play video games together like was it that kind of thing or was lars too busy trying to figure out how to hit a curveball matt usually just like picked me up from bars and drove me home (laughs) the built-in my my dd yeah, Built-in DD. DD. Yeah. That, no, that we, was actually we, my role in, in high school was being the DD because I didn't <laughs> drink at all. Um, but no, I mean, Lars, uh, yeah, did we ever play video games, Lars? That, I don't that's think That's more of so. a you question because I was always playing video games. No, we would talk a lot. I think we like mess around with music and play some pool and... Ping pong, um, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a pretty healthy, uh, healthy relationship. Lars Lars would talk about how much he loves soccer as well. Yeah, yeah, I was really going through that phase at that time. I did play a little bit of FIFA back then, but I think you were at college at that point. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. Because uh, Lars, yeah, Lars ended up uh, back, and I was already at college at that point. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So I got one more for you, and that is: is this something? Uh, I mean, obviously, you you have a career, but then you have this nonprofit thing as well. Is this something that interests you enough that? Um, you want to continue down that road. You said you want, obviously, there not to be a need to advocate for minor leaguers, but this sort of work can go in other directions as well. So is that something where you're always going to kind of look for, for groups that need a hand? Definitely. I think there's like, I'd say there's three things that I'm focused on right now, and that's one, advocates for minor leaguers um, and and continuing to push that forward and and provide a, a voice for minor leaguers the the other one and these are in no particular order um but my full-time job um that's that's another one uh and then um you know my uh own personal career as a you know host slash someone who works in comedy. I don't want to say like a comedian cause I would not say that my skills are anywhere near that. And everyone, um, who works in comedy works really hard and has been doing that craft for a long time. But I'd say the other one would be hosting and, and comedy. All right. Well, we wish you luck obviously with, with all of it. Um, people can find you on Twitter as well. It's hip hip parade. That's with a underscore between the hip hip and then the parade. Um, and they can find yourself on YouTube as well. Um, it's just been great learning more about, cause I know a little bit about all this minor league stuff, but, but you're in the trenches there. So thanks for coming on and kind of explaining it all for us, Matt. No, thank you. And I appreciate you guys giving, uh, me a platform to be able to speak, uh, you know, for minor leaguers and, and spread that message. So I appreciate it. All right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Tim McMaster, Tim M. McMaster. Lars is at underscore Lars E. Anderson. Uh, we're going to be back next week. We're actually going to have a guest. Tom Karen is going to come on the podcast. Uh, long time, of course, uh, host of the Red Sox pregame. He's going to talk about some of his favorite games over the years. So he'll be back for that one. Thanks again to the Beantown Swing Orchestra for the great music at the beginning and end of the show. That's going to do it for another edition of the Old Town Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.